The ghost prisoner, a murderer, wishes he was invisible, sheer air, already dead. His narrow bed washes him away to dream escape, through holy gaps that open in the grin of his small son. Lost teeth offer him a freedom so absurd he wakes and laughs. No one hears the ghost prisoner, whether he groans or bears stoically what instruments we've paid to play this march toward a freedom so absurd. We wake and silently shake our heads. We do not speak ill of the dead. The ghost prisoner, still murderer, wishes he was visible. Fiery air, rallying the dead. His narrow cell, just the place for prayer. Holy, holy, a ghost's revenge pushed through gaps in his own gashed mouth. A curse, so absurd, he wakes to its howl. No one says his name. His crimes, how many jolts it took to resurrect him as a betrayer of insurrection, paying for freedom's ring. We do not want to know what it took. We'd rather not speak the dead ill. We do not want to know what it took to make him wish he were dead still. Hello, happy Thanksgiving, and welcome back to Historia Obscura. For my listeners in Canada, I know that right now you are probably stuffed, you ate one too many potatoes, one too many pieces of pie, and definitely too much stuffing, all to celebrate <clears throat> a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed. So saith Parliament in 1957. So while you digest, let me read to you from something I've found on the shelves that I haven't looked at in quite some time. This is a 1955 issue of Life magazine featuring Neanderthal bear cult. However, today I'm going to read to you one of the main stories from this issue, and it's called 1980s Shape of Things to Come. The predicted increases in man's power will not end his divine discontent. All through this year of A.D. 1955, our sister magazine, Fortune, has been marking its 25th anniversary not only by assessing the vast changes of this quarter century, but by attempting to peer ahead an equivalent span to what life may be like in A.D. 1980. It has published monthly previsions of 1980 by eminent Americans on topics ranging from electronics, physics and chemistry, through labor, education, politics and the arts, to the lofty ramparts of the law and the even loftier ramparts of the human spirit. Now that the prophecies are complete, they are being assembled in a book, The Fabulous Future, it is feasible to try to build a composite A.D. 1980 out of their separate views. In fairness to the prophets, one should first note their almost unanimous suspicion that they will be proved wrong, since change nearly always outruns such imaginings, as the Air Age did Jules Verne's 80 Days Around the World. Also, alas, change sometimes disastrously negates prophecy. 
H.G. Wells' faith in an ordered world of scientist kings went up in the Holocaust of World War II as the prophet himself, dying at 80, despairingly confessed. Nevertheless, even so qualified, the predictions are breathtaking in their shape of incredibly vaster things to come. Unhappy about the weather? Everybody talking, but nobody doing anything about it? Well, just get in touch with the Atomic Weather Commission. A flick of the nuclear switch and presto! The North Pole melts, the vast continent of Antarctica thaws into productive use. Greenland grows bananas, Vermont grows oranges, and everybody's heating bill vanishes. Not fantastic at all, according to mathematician John Van Neumann, who also predicts that energy may be just about as free as the unmetered air. So, no light bills. David Sarnoff, boss of RCA's Electronics Magicians, believes that by 1980 all vehicles, including autos, will be atomic-powered. Limitless energy may provide fresh water, purified from the briny seas, to make deserts flourish, and to open to human habitation immense surfaces of the globe now sterile and inaccessible. Guided missiles may be used to haul both passengers and mail to safe destinations within minutes after their takeoff. General Sarnoff expects amplified light which will turn night into day, when desired, and free the electric light from the prison of a vacuum bulb. So, no light bulbs either. Engineer Crawford Greenwalt, chief of DuPont's Chemical Wizards of Wilmington, goes a step further. He thinks even atomic power is obsolescent. What we must devise eventually is some way of utilizing more fully the energy that comes to us from the sun. As for chemistry's other horizons, says Greenwald, only the barest beginning has been made, for example, in the field of medicine. Today's antibiotics are surely only a hint of what the future will hold. Most illness must be related to body chemistry. What more natural solution than to use chemistry as the corrective agency? But there will be plenty of problems, besides illness, in this brave new world. Harvard's Nathan Pusey sees an explosive one in education, not only the problems of our expanding birth rate, but also the problem of keeping our ultra-specialists from losing touch with the humanities and the liberal arts. The displaced labor of automation and the question of how to use our growing leisure concern both Labor's George Meany and lay churchman Charles Taft. George Humphrey's main concern is to keep the dollar sound. There are some pleasant surprises, such as Democrat Adlai Stevenson's belief that his party will outgrow its small boy habit of business baiting just as Republican businessmen will give up their old fogey habits of government-hating. But other evils, among them intolerance and persecution, are far from dying, now or in the visible future. Let the white citizens' councils of the South note well, Chief Justice Earl Warren's warning, that when the rights of any individual or group are chipped away, that the freedom of all erodes. Let them also ponder well his question. Will A.D. 1980 find us passing on a better Bill of Rights, 
or a worse one, tarnished by neglect or burnished by growing use? On the answer to that may hinge whether this new world will be worth living in. Indeed, that world will be tossed and torn by incalculable stresses growing out of the fact that science is expanding its techniques at a rate of fabulous acceleration. At the same time, it is shrinking the world through their efforts so that no geographical or political entity, not even vast Russia, is large enough to avoid having its affairs increasingly intermingled with those of all others. As with the atom, these techniques are ambivalent neutrals, potential benefactors or destroyers. For example, weather control carries with it the possibility of climatic warfare, freezing your enemy with another ice age, for example. All this will merge each nation's affairs with those of every other, concludes von Neumann, more thoroughly than the threat of a nuclear or any other war may have already done. Political forms will have to change in ways now unforeseeable to accommodate these realities. Von Neumann's implication is that there will either be world government or no government, and no world. All of this assumes that nuclear war will, somehow, be avoided, and most of the prophets do assume it. And yet, and yet, the realization of the most incredible of utopias, the bringing to birth of all of Sarnoff's numberless embryos in the womb of science, will still leave man, as editor Henry R. Luce points out in his summation of the series, as unhappy as ever. Says Luce, Divine discontent does not explain it, unless one asks why discontent should be inextricable from human nature and why is it recognized as precisely the divine within us. The truth is that no conceivable utopia on earth will satisfy man, a consequence of the economy of abundance which now is, and even more a consequence of superabundance to come, Maybe that men and women will experience a more direct and inescapable confrontation with the ultimate questions concerning the meaning of human life and its purpose. If prosperity and security will not satisfy, what on earth will? Answer? Nothing. One great question will abide. Why? One answer to this why is suggested by the prophecy of playwright Robert E. Sherwood, which he wrote, as it turned out, on death's threshold. He died suddenly soon after. To him, the most important statement in the recorded history of the human race is this. God created man in his own image. And he concludes, the essential concept of the divinity that exists in man is the force that impelled man out of the jungle and along the ascending path that leads to the stars. His perhaps blind but persistent faith in his godlike qualities has enabled man to defy all scientific proof that he is frail, physically and morally, that he is subject to corruption and decay, that he is, in a word, mortal. He has gone out on his own and found ways to make himself immortal. Let us bequeath that timeless message to the citizens of A.D. 1980.
Wow, what a future it's turned out to be, hmm? I just can't wait to see what the next year brings. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can sign up for ad-free episodes of History Obscura via patreon.com forward slash history obscura. And you can donate through www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash history obscura. If you want to continue listening to Treasure Island, hop on over Historical Fiction Book Club. You can find that on Spotify and Anchor and hopefully everywhere else you listen to podcasts. I wish you a very merry, happy Thanksgiving of sharing food and being warm and definitely not taking anything from anybody else. Any colonizers found on estate property will be swiftly led to the dungeon to keep company with the other malicious spirits. Good night!